0: on now. Sorry about that, guys. I got distracted by the count and by trying to do two or three things at once. I'm going to begin this morning with an apology. On Friday at work, I had a hug-related injury. I was hugging somebody I don't know well enough to have gone in for the full embrace, so I kind of went in with the sideways thing, and she went the wrong way, so I cricked my neck. So if you're on this side of the audience, crowd audience, congregation, unless I turn to face you directly, you're getting very little eye contact. Bear with me. This morning, just to worry you all, we're going to cover an entire letter in the New Testament. So don't worry about your Sunday lunch, though. It's not Romans. It's not long and complicated. Like me, it's short and simple. And sweet. Thank you, Neil. We're going to study the New Testament letter from Paul to Philemon. This letter's tucked away between Titus and Hebrews. And it's a really unusual letter because it's one of only three personal letters in the Bible. The letter was written around AD 60 during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. So Paul's in prison and he writes to Philemon. And he wrote this roughly at the time that Paul was writing letters to the Ephesian and the Colossian churches. But Paul's writing to a friend. It's not a letter of instruction, setting out theology or teaching or proper conduct to a church or a leader. This letter is a personal appeal from the Apostle Paul to a personal friend on behalf of a runaway slave. A guy called Onesimus. I love this letter because even though it's a letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago, I think it's really relevant and it gives us encouragement today. I'm going to read the whole letter in, in the message version this morning. At Connect Group a couple of weeks ago, we had a bit of a discussion about the different versions that we were studying. In Connect Group at the moment, if you're not involved, I just recommend it. Uh, we're going through a study on Romans, and to look at Romans, we're looking at three different translations to look at verses. And when we read the message, we get a great overview. And then when we read the translations, the more direct translations, including the amplified version, we get a different angle to look at the verse and explore it. So I'd actually encourage you in your own personal readings to consider reading different translations. See, the message is written to read well in modern language, so it tells a good story. Sometimes it's a bit too American for my taste. Sorry, John. But I do think it brings letters like Philemon to life. And I think it gives a really good sense of Paul's passionate, billi- uh, passionate a- appeal for a friend. He's seeking to bring together reconciliation between a wrong master and a runaway. So I'm just going to read it for you. So this is the book of Philemon. I, Paul, am a prisoner for the sake of Christ, here with my brother Timothy. I write this letter to you, Philemon, my good friend and companion in this work. Also to our sister, Afia, to our a real trooper, and to the church that meets in your house. God's best to you. Christ's blessings on you. Every time your name comes up in my prayers, I say, thank you, God. I keep hearing of the love and faith you have for the master Jesus, which brims over to all the Christians. And I keep praying that this faith we hold in common keeps showing up in the good things we do and that people recognize Christ in it. Friend, You have no idea how good your love makes me feel. Doubly so when I see your hospitality to fellow believers. In line with all this, I have a favour to ask of you. As Christ's ambassador, and now a prisoner for him, I wouldn't hesitate to command this if I thought it necessary. But I'd rather make it a personal request. While here in jail, I fathered a child, so to speak. And here he is, hand-carrying this letter, Onesimus. "'He was useless to you before, now he's useful to both of us. "'I'm sending him back to you, "'but it feels like I'm cutting off my right arm in doing so. "'I wanted in the worst way to keep him here "'as your stand-in to help out while I'm in jail for the message. "'But I didn't want to do anything behind your back, "'make you do a good deed that you hadn't willi- willingly agreed to. "'Maybe it's all for the best that you lost him for a while. "'You're getting him back now for good.' And know me a slave this time, but a true Christian brother. That's what he was to me. He'll be even more than that to you. So if you still consider me a comrade in arms, welcome him back as you would me. If he damaged anything or owes you anything, chalk it up to my account. This is my personal signature, Paul, and I stand behind it. I don't need to remind you, do I, that you owe your very life to me. Do me this big favor, friend you'll be doing it for Christ, but it will also do my heart good. I know you well enough to know you will. You'll probably go far beyond what I've written. And by the way, get a room ready for me. Because of your prayers, I fully expect to be a guest again. Epaphras, my cellmate in the cause of Christ, says hello. Also my co-workers, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. All the best to you from the Master, Jesus Christ. I just think that's a brilliant letter. Paul butters him up, sets out his request, and says, get a room ready for me. That's how confident he is. See, Paul starts his letter with some first-class wordplay. The commentary that I read used this brilliant word. It says, Paul uses paranomasis. So I looked it up, because it's like not in my field of study. And basically, it just means he uses wordplay, he puns. He's humorous. The greeting that Paul gives, if we go to a translation rather than a um, than a paraphrase, a paraphrase gives a great sense of the whole thing. But when you go to a translation, you can dig into the words that are used by the writer. Using the NIV. The opening greeting is to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. See, this is a letter from a man in authority, but speaking to a friend as a friend. He calls Philemon our dear friend, which plays on the Greek word phileo, to be a friend to the Bible uses different words to talk about different aspects of love. Through most of this, this letter, the word for love is agape, which is an unconditional love from God. But here he talks about phileo, Philemon, phileo, my brother. He's reminding Philemon that the basis of their friendship, although it, it came through God's love, is now brotherly love. That they're brothers in Christ, that they're a team that Afia is a dear sister to him. An Archippus, who's actually um, their son, is greeted as a fellow soldier, which plays on the Greek meaning of his name. So I'm going to... General disclaimer, right? I'm rubbish at this stuff. It's not my field of study. But I know there's some people here who have got a lot of clever theological knowledge. So I've dipped a little bit into it, and I know that the definitions I'm giving you aren't all of the definitions. Please criticize me privately later if I've got any of it wrong. But I like this one because Archippus is a Greek name that means the ruler of the horse. So, it's got, in a culture that values like martial things, this child has been called ruler of the horse, and then this family have become saved. And then Paul says, "Fellow soldier," that martial discipline that's like a physical cultural thing is now now brought into the gospel is a fellow soldier with Christ. I love that. I think that's really encouraging. You see, often names are given by parents to reflect their ambitions and aspirations and hopes for us. And through life, we tend to pick up other names, negative names, words that we sometimes allow to define us. But whatever your given name or whatever names you've picked up along the way, actually, God places his name over us. He calls us his children. He calls you his child. He calls you chosen, forgiven, beloved, and so many good things. So many things. Too many to list, because otherwise your Sunday roasts will be ruined. The value God places on us is because of who we are, not because of anything we do or might do or can be. It's not aspirational. It's us. It's where we are. See, I think Paul's reminding his friends that in Christ, they're more than the given name or the personal history, but they're linked in by this this filial love, this, this brotherhood, this... Brotherhood of believers, and that breaks down all barriers and identities and positions in society. Philemon and Onesimus are no longer master and slave. They're brothers. I think Paul opens with this, with a slight smile on his face as he writes it, because he's pre- preparing the ground for Onesimus. And remember the terms of this letter. Onesimus is now stood in a pool of nervous sweat in front of the mastery he abandoned, watching him read a letter from the Apostle Paul. I'm guessing that wasn't a very comfortable wait. I'm guessing he was watching Philemon's face closely to see the first crack of a smile. It's in verses 10 and 11, it says, while here in jail, I fathered a child, so to speak, and here he is, hand-carrying this letter. He was useless to you before, now he's use- useful to both of us. I just remembered I did something clever and put my fo- phone on countdown and never set it off. So tell me when I've had my time. Um, see, this is Paul's masterpiece of world play, actually. The name Onesimus means profitable. And it comes from a root word, onine on in me, which means to derive pleasure or advantage from, to have joy. When Paul says that Onesimus was useless he uses a word which means in- inefficient and implies that something is unprofitable and then when Paul says useful he uses a word called eukrestos which is easier to pronounce than the other one so I'm, not, I'm going with it which means easily used profitable or fit for use so I'm sorry about the rubbish pronunciation but there's something going on here that I want to unpick that's more than clever words See, Paul's saying that Onesimus has been restored to the person he was always meant to be. He's no longer unprofitable. He's now profitable to God and to his fellow believers. And that he's brought joy, like his, the root cause of his name is to bring joy. He's brought joy to Paul in prison. So what changed in Onesimus' life? Well, it was when he found Salvation. It's when, as a runaway, he met Paul, who introduced him to Jesus. And through Jesus, he was put right with God. Because Jesus' death on the cross covered all Onesimus' wrong stuff, all the running away, all the bad stuff, all the mistakes, and restores him to being profitable and useful and a bringer of joy in the kingdom. What changed Onesimus' life? Grace. The grace of God. That's what changed his life. And because of that grace, Paul doesn't keep Onesimus with him in prison. Paul wants to. Paul finds comfort and joy and, and sort of enjoyment in the presence of Onesimus. He treats him as a son. And we take joy in our children, don't we, as we watch them learn and grow. So because of grace, Paul doesn't keep Onesimus to himself. Despite his fondness despite the fact he treats him as a son and a partner in the gospel. Instead, he sends him back to his rightful master. But he sends him back with a letter. If Paul hadn't sent Onesimus back with a letter, we wouldn't have that letter. So we wouldn't have this example... Of running away and being lost and being found and brought back in grace. We wouldn't have this fantastic little cameo example of one person's journey into faith. And if Paul hadn't sent him back, if he kept him to himself or just sent a command to file him, and he wouldn't be here to encourage us today. That made me smile. it also struck me reading this letter that the list of things that we do know about the Anesimus and Philemon situation is actually shorter than the list of things we don't know. We don't actually know very much about this. We know that a church meets in Philemon's house, but actually it's unclear whether he's is the leader of the church or whether he just facilitates the church. The gift that Paul commends him for is hospitality, for refreshing the saints, in another version. She's a lovely phrase, refresh the saints. Tea and coffee, guys, refresh the saints. Fantastic. See, Paul commends him for hospitality. I mean, he's going to be a successful man. He's got at least servants or slaves, does not he? And he's got a house big enough to host the church. But we don't actually know much about him. We don't actually know much about Onesimus, actually. In fact, according to some of the commentaries I read, we're not even that certain he's a slave because the word Paul uses is doulos. I'll have a go at that, because that's easy. Which means a slave, literally or figuratively, involuntary or voluntarily. So it could be like a bondman or a servant. One of the commentaries I read suggested that Onesimus might have been a freeborn person placed into a form of apprenticeship by his parents, or of his own choice to learn a skill or trade. We don't know why Onesimus ran away. We don't know how long he ran away for. We don't know if he went straight to Rome or ended up there after a series of misadventures. We don't know whether there was a financial penalty for broken contract. It suggests that there's a debt to pay. But that debt, that penalty, however it comes about, is a penalty that Paul says, I'll pay that, I'll pay that. I'll pay that to see Onesimus restored to you. I'll pay that price. See, this is the perfect picture of what Jesus does for us. We're away from God the Father and Jesus says, whatever debt, whatever penalty, whatever separates us, whatever separates you from Joe, I'm going to pay that debt. So what What Paul does for Anesimus is a picture of that. Jesus pays the debt for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can be made right with him. You see, what I love about all the details we don't know about this story is it means that we can put ourselves into the story. We can all identify with the players in the story, the people there, with the characters. We can be them. We can all... We can all identify with Philemon, can't we? He's actually he's commended for his gift of hospitality and for his love. They're the things that Paul commends him for. They're gifts that we can all operate in. We can all choose to love each other. We can all choose to demonstrate hospitality one to another. So we can all be Philemon in this story. We can all be Onesimus too. We can all identify with a runaway. We can all enca- relate to his encounter with God through the death of Jesus. We, if, you've, if you're already a Christian this morning, the way that you're reconciled to God the Father is the same way that, that Anesimus is, is reconciled to Philemon. The debt's been paid. And that's a small picture that demonstrates the bigger picture. Onesimus' debt was already paid because of Jesus' death. And Paul knows that. Paul knows that all his his, his sin, all his wrongdoing, all his penalties are paid. But in order to set him right with an earthly master, he's prepared to pay again for the debt that Onesimus owes Philemon. Yeah? So if you're not a Christian yet this morning, know that that debt's paid. And that that access to knowing God is there free and ready and waiting. And if you are a Christian, know that that's happened for you. That where you stand today is free. You see, we all hear and respond to the. we, We can all hear and respond to the good news, and when we do, we step into a profitable life. So, like Onesimus was unprofitable and became profitable again, when we become Christians, when we allow God into our lives, our lives are profitable because of the gospel, not because of us. Martin Luther says, said, as Christ does for us with God the Father, sorry, written, written in uh, older language than, than I can cope with, as Christ does for us with God the Father, so does Paul with Philemon for Onesimus. We are all God's Onesimus. That was written by Martin Luther. He reminds us that we're all saved by grace, rescued from slavery to sin set free and restored into a relationship with our Father God. I didn't know much about Martin Luther. Obviously, I know that he was like really, really, really fundamental to like everything that we believe. And that his act of faith in nailing up his articles of belief on the church door changed history. But I wanted to read a little bit about it. So I found an article in, in Christianity Today that told me that a public debate in 1519, Luther declared that a simple layman armed with the scriptures, was superior to both Pope and councils without them. Ooh. Ooh. That's a way to get uh, in trouble, isn't it, with the authorities? You see, he challenged the religious establishment and called for a return to, like, studying the Bible. That's, that's radical. That's radical because that wasn't available to the everyday people. The scriptures weren't available to the to the uneducated. But Luther says that a poor layman with the scriptures in his hands is more powerful than a pope without them. That's massive. He did amazing things. And then I read on in this article, because articles can never leave well alone, can they? And it says that in his later years, he married a runaway nun, which scandalized many. He mocked fellow reformers and used vulgar language in doing so became more cantankerous as he got older and said nasty things that weren't fit to put in print. It's human. It's human like us. His less glorious moments haven't detracted from where he stands in history. They could never detract from the incredible things he achieved in God. You see, the good and the bad things we do by ourselves fade away, even the good things, but the God things that we allow God to do through us stand. That's massive, isn't it? See, Paul's letter to Philemon argues that the temporary loss that he suffered because of the desertion of his his slave was for good, because now they're restored to each other eternally as brothers. Paul reminds us that it's the eternal stuff, not the temporary stuff, that matters. The kingdom stuff, the God stuff, that's what matters, That's what marks what we do, not the temporary stuff, not the ordinary stuff. The kingdom things that God builds through us aren't unbuilt by our later failures. This encourages me. I think, for me at the moment, this is really important to grasp. The kingdom things that God does, if I allow him to be part of my life and things happen, My later failures won't undo that good because God built it. Because it's God's, it doesn't stand on my ability to keep going. That encourages me more than you can imagine. You see, the things of God are eternal and our sufferings and trials are temporary. We don't know what the outcome of this situation between Philemon and Onesimus was. The Bible doesn't tell us. We've got a snapshot, we've got Anesimus stood there in a pool and over sweat, giving a letter to Paul and waiting for his response. And we don't hear the response. But I think we know what his response was. Paul had confidence in his response. And he had confidence in his response because he knows that Philemon was a man of God. And when you receive forgiveness, you grant forgiveness. You see, the Onesimus who returned to Philemon carrying his letter, which probably had quite a... You know, like letters get all crumpled and soggy when you're like, ha, ah, ha, can't drop it, can't lose it. The Onesimus who returned to Philemon carrying that letter from the Apostle Paul wasn't the same man who ran away. It was a man changed by an encounter with Paul because Paul introduced him to his Lord, Jesus Christ. So it's not Paul that changed him. It's not, not meeting Paul the clever man. It was Paul saying, let me introduce you to Jesus. That's what changes him. That's what changes us. You see, we don't know why Onesimus ran away. We don't know the hardships he encountered when he was on the road. And sometimes we, we face things that make us want to run away. Sometimes we can't see the way through the situation we're in or the hardship we're facing. Sometimes we don't feel like we've got the strength to climb up the mountain that's just plumped onto the path in front, front of us. Has anybody ever felt like that? You're toddling along and suddenly like, there's this mountain on your path. Can't climb over that. I'm out of energy. But you see, my experience of God over the last 30 years is that actually it's in the opposition times. And in the testing times and the bits I don't like when God works on my character. It's in the nose that I've faced that I've grown. That's hard, isn't it? Because we don't like the nose. But actually, if you're in a no season now, know that it's because God wants you to grow. And that growth is, is something that will last. That's something that God builds, that's something that isn't snatched away. See, Luther was Martin Luther was spot on when he said all Christians are anesimus. Because we all need God's love and forgiveness to belong. Whether we are in a runaway, run away phase of your life, I've done that. Run away, run away, it's too hard. Or whether you're in the welcome home bit or whether you're in an active partner in the gospel bit, we're all profitable in God's plan and purpose. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. Um, I'm going to share a testimony. I nearly did after Emily stood up. Um, we've just been in an odd season. Neil, Neil got quite ill, quite quickly, and we got transferred to the Northern General. And we arrived on a Thursday, and on fr- Friday morning, I arrived to visit Neil. And through the night, they'd admitted a young man who was the same age as our son, uh, l- lovely boy called Alex. He had some additional needs, and he didn't fully understand his situation. And actually, everything that happened to Alex, Neil had first. So when he had his biopsy, Neil had his biopsy the day before Alex had his. So Neil could explain to Alex... What was going to happen? And Neil fathered him. And Alex's parents were there the whole time. They were lovely. But they were all very scared because they didn't have God in it like we did. But I'm not saying this is why we're in that situation. But we were in that situation. And in that situation, I watched Neil rise above his own illness and share the gospel. And when we left, when Neil, Neil was um, let out discharged, let out. Neil escaped earlier than Alex did. But he got up out of bed and he went over and said, guys, can I pray for you before we go? So in that situation, even if it's the hard times, yeah. who's to say we shouldn't do something while we're there? You know, it might not seem like the most natural thing in the world when you're scared yourself, but sometimes when you're scared yourself that's the best time to sit alongside somebody else who's scared. Because in us, we've always got that changed life that comes from knowing God. That's the strength of the gospel in us. It might be dark days, but they're never lonely days. So I love that little snapshot there that Paul gives us in this letter. If the band want to come back, I'm I'm just about there. Um, Because it gives me hope. And actually, it gives me hope to know that if I've done something and built something with God today and I fall tomorrow, God will get me back up and we'll get back on the road. But the thing that was built still stands because God built it. Do you see what I mean? Because we live in a world that says, oh, well, if you mess up, you've got to start again at the bottom. But we live in a faith that says, if you mess up, call out to your father. He'll get you up and we'll walk on. You don't have to go right back to stay one. We get up and we walk on. So I don't know what seasons you're in at the moment, whether anybody's in a runaway, runaway. But I just encourage you this morning to know that God is with you. That if you don't know God yet, I just encourage you to know that you can know God this morning. So I'm going to just pray and hand back over. If you don't know God this morning and you want to know him, come and talk to one of us. If you're in a runaway, runaway moment, run to one of us, to somebody you trust in church, to somebody you've got a relationship with. Like Paul said to Philemon, he called him brother. If you're here, you've got brothers and sisters here who will help you. lord we want to thank you for your word we want to thank you that your word stands and your word empowers us and your word in our hands is just so powerful so father we thank you for all that you are and all that you allow us to do with us lord we just pray that we'd be more more like anesimus running home this week amen